Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another podcast. This is the doctor speaking, diagnosing the intersection between work and learning. I have a dear friend all the way from the other side of the world who is joining us today, and we are going to be talking all things evil. Now, you haven't just tuned into a Star Trek podcast. Um, I promise you this is still about work integrated learning. Alon, hello. Hello, Trevor. Greetings from the other side of the pond. Tell us a little bit about where you are and who are you? What do you do? What are your titles, roles? What keeps you busy? Um, well, so I'm uh, I'm hailing from the place known as Canada. And within Canada, I am in the city of Kelowna, which is situated on the Seelch Okanagan Nation traditional territory. And I am working as an assistant professor of teaching at the University of British Columbia Okanagan campus within the School of Engineering. And my focus as a professor of teaching is in professional development and entrepreneurship education. Professional development and entrepreneurship education. Now, uh, listeners, if you do follow me, you will know uh, that uh, we published a book. Uh, gosh, when was it? A start of 2021, I think it was. Yes, am I right? Yes. I think so, yeah. And uh, we, we can see each other, listeners. That's why we're nodding to each other. Uh, and this was with IGI Global. Uh, and it was a nice, big, fat book uh, around Gen Y and Gen Z uh, and work integrated learning from around the globe. Uh, and Alon and uh, I think it was Neta, Neta your yeah. co-author, um, put something in around entrepreneurial work integrated learning, or we're going to just say EWIL uh, for, for short. So, uh, Alon, Talk us about EWIL. What makes EWIL different from WILL? So that's a really good question. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to the evolution of work integrated learning in Canada. So before we had work integrated learning, it was mostly the discussion was around cooperative education. We had the National Association for Cooperative Education. And, and all the other things that were non-co-op were, were, were seen as I guess, structurally different things. You know, we had apprenticeships in colleges. You had practicum, you know, for teachers, for nurses, and so on and so forth. And so as, as you know, the, the professionals on, on the ground and people in government and in higher education realize that it's all the same core fundamental values of work-based, work work-integrated learning. And that's how it kind of evolved. So historically, it started coalescing around cooperative education, internships, practicum, clinical practicum, and, and, and other type of field work. And then somebody realized that, hey, we've got so many things happening on the entrepreneurship realm. Students are starting businesses. They attend incubation programs. We have on-campus incubation and programming. And people realize that, again, entrepreneurship activities that are happening where they really straddle the student experience with the work experience, the world of work experience is a valid will experience. And so that was around 2016 when entrepreneurship was kind of officiated into, into the will family. So now, you know, this is again, still a very much evolving uh, field because e-will 
is very, very fluid in its definition and people are coming in from different angles. And where I come in to the world of eWill is so far my experience has been predominantly with undergraduate students and the specific experience of them working with startups. And so my main questions were and still are, um, how does the work experience as employees in a startup feed into their understanding of the nature of the work of entrepreneurs, the nature of work in a startup? And that's one way of seeing e-will. And, and I kind of you know label this as a supervised e-will experience. The other option, which is the more common way think people think of entrepreneurship education is the self-directed e-will where students are assuming the role of an entrepreneur. Uh, they come up with an idea individually or with a team. They develop a business plan. They run with it. They try to get customers. They do some validation, minimal viable products, and that's the self-directed. So we can we can really see these two parallel worlds, and they each have their own unique challenges, unique features, unique experiences, and collectively together, the entrepreneurship education is is again offering a, a unique spin on will in general. Wow. Now, if you've been keeping track of the world of work integrated learning, this is just another dimension we've added to it. Placements and internships, uh, sometimes they sandwiched in between two semesters, sometimes they stretched across an entire degree, sometimes they paid, sometimes they unpaid. In most cases, traditional universities will be doing internships, placements in quite big companies. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of people around. There's a lot of resources. Somebody can supervise the student. But when we start talking small, medium enterprises, particularly small enterprises, when we start talking particularly charitable uh, organizations, because again, they're quite small, we're not talking the big ones. And when we're talking entrepreneurship and startups, um, we're limited in terms of resources. We're limited potentially in terms of staff available to be able to supervise because they got their hands full. They're running their own company. Um, and I would even suggest in some cases, we're probably talking uh, a bit of attention financially in, in whether the student can actually even be paid because the startup is so new potentially or, or not being paid the market rate. So in terms of your experience thus far, what are the unique challenges within Ewell, uh, you know, unpacking a little bit more some of the suggestions. I've yeah, given. yeah, absolutely. So, so that's a good, a really good point. And and let me just start by saying that the size of the company is is definitely a parameter. And and you kind of hit the nail on the head with with saying that the bigger the company, the more resources the company has, and and that that creates a challenge when when you're a, a single entrepreneur or your team is like only a handful of people. People are stretched really thin and adding another body into the table in the form of a student is really challenging for meaningful super, supervision of that student. But when we use the word startup to distinguish a startup from um, from a small company, um, I, I usually go back to the Steve Blank definition of a startup, which is a corporation or organization. It doesn't have to be a company. It can be a nonprofit, but an organization in search of a reproducible business model. And when you when you differentiate a startup from a small business, the in, in implication of the language is really important. The, the small business, when we say this is a small business, we are essentially implying that 
however many people you have in this business, it could be two, it could be 10, the business is established. They have a business model. They know who their customers are. They're not probably big, but that doesn't matter. They know what they're doing and they have a process, a procedure. So coming in with a student in to work with them is essentially fitting that student in an existing mechanism that is repeatable and reproducible. When we look at startup, and this is where the entrepreneurship education is really focused on, how do we create a company? Not how do we manage an existing company, but how do we create a new company? The, the reality of a startup is, well, we actually don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we're, it's, you know, it's, um, again, um, going back to, um, oh, I blanked out on the name. The concept of validated learning. A startup is essentially a running experiment. It's a running experiment of trying to get it right, get the product right, get the business right, get the pricing right, get the markets right, get find the right customer. So it's always this in this in, in this mode of flux and uncertainty. And this is a very different reality for a student coming in because they might be told to do something day one and by day 20, they're told, okay, forget it. We're doing something completely different. Maybe not completely, but mostly different. Or the student is given a task or a, an opportunity to, to provide an input for a new project. And then a week later, they're told, well, we decided we don't have, we can't do it. So there's no long-term planning beyond, say, even, you know, two, three months in as a company is looking on a one-year horizon, maybe a two-year horizon. Uh, so, so that's one very big challenge for students. Something really linked to that is the sense of uncertainty can create a lot of anxiety in students and, and, and confusion. And so depending on the startup, if the startup is run by very early entrepreneurs, first-time entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs that, that don't have a very solid management experience, they will probably fail to give the student the support they, the student need to feel comfortable, to feel motivated, to feel energized. And so this is where having a more senior or a more experienced entrepreneur, somebody that has already done multiple startups or at the very least have some managerial or team leadership skills that they know how to work with people and keep them motivated. So these are mostly the two big things that I've seen with working with, with startups, early stage startups, and students working with these companies. Wow, this is really good coming from you. Um, listeners, you'll know that I interviewed Tanisha Tago, uh, who is the assistant professor at Arden University here in the UK, originally from Ghana, uh, and she runs a lot of entrepreneurial projects. We had a conversation with her, uh, and, and I'm going to pick up on some of the cultural things that she raised, uh, particularly in terms of the diaspora stuff that's going on in Ghana. So we'll come back to the cultural elements, but let's just think about those students, and I, I would like to unpick all the various elements here. It sounds like the student needs to be of a very particular kind. It's not a generic student who is fitted for eWill, the resilience, flexibility, almost in some ways, almost co-partnering with a particularly a first-time startup company in, in supporting and not, uh, I guess, being a baby and expecting to be babysat, but actually to really a, a much more bigger contribution because this thing is so new. We know, and uh, this is part of the contribution that we've made in the IGI publication, that Gen Z at the moment are probably one of the most entrepreneurial generations we've seen. 
compared to all the other generations. They want to be involved in this kind of thing. So considering all of that, considering it's potentially a type of student, taking, on to, taking into consideration all the risks that you just mentioned, um, and taking into consideration this may be a growing trend that universities can't keep ignoring and will probably need to up their uh, uptake and their, 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 their um, opportunities for this kind of thing. What, what would you advise a student who is looking for a will opportunity but thinks they may be entrepreneurial? What would be your advice to that student? Well, I guess two, two things. Um, the first one is don't be afraid to try new things. So I actively encourage students that even if they're not sure about entrepreneurship or even working in a startup as something that, that they would like to do for their career um, later on, if I have a course and this course has this opportunity and they have the ability to participate, and again, you mentioned a bit about this, this, the, the, the challenge of, of companies not having the ability to pay, especially if they're coming from a nonprofit, and that raises a big red flag on equity. Do, is it equitable to, to offer a unpaid um, work experience within a course? That's a huge can of worm. We can spend three hours just unpacking that. But putting that aside very cautiously and respectfully, if a student has the opportunity and is able to attend something like this, I would say, even if you're not sure, I would encourage you to be brave and try it. because. The best thing to be about a student, especially if you're relatively young and you, you're still you know, living with your parents, it's the best time for experimenting. Before you're in financial debt for paying your student loans or paying a mortgage or having a family to look after, literally your, your, your early 20s when you're in undergrad and maybe even you know, people having masters, it is probably the best time to experiment and try things, especially if it's within a course, because you're getting a course credit. The second piece of advice would be know what you're getting into. Being brave doesn't mean being ignorant or being irresponsible. Being brave is is accepting a, 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 an experience, knowing what it is you're getting into. And so I've seen a lot of students they jump into entrepreneurship and they're genuinely surprised and shocked by what they see in, from the inside. And so for some of them, some of them, this is actually invigorating and, and motivating and confirming, and they're happy to go ahead with it. And for them, for, for others, it's really an eye opening. So it's like, well, no, that's not for me. Now, from my point of view as an educator, both of them are equally valuable learning experiences. Knowing what you don't want to do with your life is equally valuable as knowing what you want to do in your life. So, there, so that's why you know being brave about it is really the the first part. Now, the question is, well, how do you get informed? A lot of students I've seen have a misunderstanding of what is a startup and what is entrepreneurship. There is a very Hollywood aura, a very you know pop culture idea of you know we. We think of the Googles and the Facebooks, but we don't think of what did Facebook look on day one and day 10 and day 50. People assumed Facebook was always this big thing. And there's this, again, this assumption like, oh, you know, it's like two guys in the shed. Like this is the HP 
Silicon Valley uh, genesis, right? The two guys in the shed outside. But again, people fail to appreciate that these two guys were in the shed working on top of their full-time day job. They were they had a full-time day job that would pay their rent while working on this, you know, in all their spare time. People just don't don't for, they forget about this. They don't pay attention to the small details. So when when I see students and they work with a startup and they realize, oh, this entrepreneur, they're working on on this startup evenings and weekends, and during the day they have a full time day job that pays for them. And if you're in academia, a lot of them are just PhD students, so they they're doing their PhD research and the startup on the side. They're they're genuinely surprised. And on one hand, this is why this experience is so valuable because it's an eye opening, but it also reinforces the the level of un- misunderstanding and misconception of what is a startup how does a startup even start before you have you know personal wealth and and and, and an existing company to start to speak of this is just absolute gold um i think i'm expecting to be charged for this brilliant insight and wisdom we're getting here uh, i'm busy watching a netflix documentary at the moment called we crashed uh, and it's based on on the the story of WeWork, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I mean the the amount of hours that they were putting in in order to make it successful. Not a very good business model because they failed in the end. Nonetheless, the the, the, the discipline and all of that. Uh, I, I was speaking to uh, Gen Z Talks recently, and uh, they were just giving a summary of Generation Z and saying that actually they are very hardworking. So again, this could be a really good dovetail. Let's move on to the institutions, if uh, if we may. Again, I think many institutions recognize the importance of work integrated learning. It enhances the learning, it enhances the opportunity, it enhances the employability, all these different kinds of things. Most institutions would want to have some kind of offering, internships, placements, and so on. If an institution doesn't have this kind of thing, they will want to go for the box standard, you know, off the shelf work integrated learning experience, which probably at this point in time doesn't include eWill because it's just so as you were saying, so risky and undefined and and fluid. So this is a real challenge for institutions, uh, particularly those who've been around probably for a long time and who've been doing this. What are they doing in terms of this? Now, every single time I talk about entrepreneurship, I hear this word incubator. Do you want to just tell our listeners, in case they're not quite so savvy on the world of entrepreneurship and startups, what's an incubator? Because a lot of universities have them. Yeah, that's a good question. And you know, incubator itself, people people conflate and, and replace the term incubator with accelerator. In Canada, again, I'm 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 currently here in British Columbia on the west end of Canada, but before before moving here just over a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was uh, I was working uh, in Ontario at the University of Toronto. And so in Ontario the, they created the terminology on campus um, on campus accelerator accelerators. Uh, and again, it was mostly a, a misnomer because it's well, they weren't accelerators, they were incubators. So the idea of an incubator is a program that supports entrepreneurs in the early stages of creating their startup. Whereas an accelerator is a program that works with existing startups to reach a, a level of scale up, right? So this is where like accelerating into market so before you're able to accelerate your path to market and you know accelerating to market really means getting scale 
So I'm not selling one or two or a hundred. I'm going into the thousands or ten thousands of sales. Before that, you have to incubate the startup. By the way, side note, I, I'm, I'm currently working on starting a pre-incubator program at the School of Engineering, which I've been for years advocating to call some programs like this. Instead of calling it a pre-incubator because it makes it conditional to an incubation, I just call it a germinator program. So I'm germinating a group of graduate students. So we'll germinate, and when they are brave enough and ready enough, Hopefully, they will start working on a company or creating a company, and then they can start accessing incubator programs. So essentially, incubator programs, again, are very common in campuses across Canada. You have a group of people, handful, maybe two, three, maybe five if it's a large program, and they, they offer these on-site services, programs, so training, workshops. Uh, they bring in guest speakers. They bring in mentors, they have events, they create you know, networking events to, to establish the, the, the networks or, or build the networks of students. And, and again, these, these ideas of these students then continue to develop their, or I guess sharpen their business idea. Um, a lot of incubators have their own competitions like pitch competitions where they can give, you know, um, um, startups or early startups, they can give them $5,000, $10,000, maybe $20,000 in, in prize money. Some of it is typically matched with, with um, services or mentoring. And the fact that they're on campus, again, and this is where you see a really big variety of, of approaches. Some incubator programs on campuses are restricted to students. So you can think of it as being another student service office. And so it's paid by student services, and therefore they're really limited in their ability to serve only that university students. Other on-campus incubators actually try a different approach where they're also allowing anybody from the from community outside the city or, or anybody uh, to then apply to the program and participate in the incubation program. Again, they're usually tied to they would usually apply for government funding to get you know, their funding because they can't just work on students' fees, student, um, what do you call it, uh, service fees from, from the student tuition part. But any way you look at it, again, the core message is creating this environment of individuals that bring in knowledge and skills and opportunities to support students in forming teams and cultivating this sense of entrepreneurial mindset to reach a point where the company has first customers, a somewhat workable business model of sort that they can then hopefully, you know, say graduate from the incubator program and and look at accelerator programs. Um, and probably the most fa no, no, known accelerator program in, in North America is the Y, combi um, y Combinator in on the West Coast. Brilliant. Um, that was, uh, I think, really helpful, particularly for people who are not maybe aware of entrepreneurship or universities who, who are kind of still playing on the edges. I, I know quite often when I'm teaching on entrepreneurship modules, um, I often remind the students, in, in my view, on, on looking at startups is there's two ways in which uh, a student could often think about a startup. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to start something because it's your baby you're passionate about a particular market or product or service and you want to create something. And you, you're not particularly thinking about 
potentially in 10 years time selling it or moving on because it's your baby. This is the thing that you're creating. And then there's people who are just very talented at spotting a gap, whatever that gap is, but regardless of whether they have a passion for their product or service, they create a business to fill that gap, they build it and they sell it. And they're very good at doing this over and over again. And I, I, I found it really helpful to help students to, again, understand within this area of entrepreneurship and startups, where exactly do you fall in? Is it a bit of both? and so on. Talking to uh, Tunisia from Ghana and uh, thinking back on growing up in South Africa, the idea of ent entrepreneurship and startups in South Africa is very, very, or in Africa in, in some places, very different from the Western world. You were talking about funding, governments, this, the infrastructure in a lot of other places, um, there is none. And so it, it's almost a kind of a, a mixing of startup and entrepreneurship into one mode or model where the funding is just you've got to be really creative on how you're setting this up now i want to throw this at you along uh, as we come into land cabin crew prepare for landing thank you we have a lot of international students in our western universities and uh, a lot of them are planning on returning back to these kind of contexts where there isn't really an infrastructure when they set something up when they get back home it's very kind of rough and ready and raw. Um, do you think this could potentially raise another challenge, one for the kinds of students we're working with in terms of e-will, but also a challenge in terms of our institutions that we may be teaching, modeling a model that only works in the West, but may not actually enable them to do something like this in a, in a, in a, in a culture, in a place where the infrastructure is completely different to what we're used to? So I may be um, I may be naive, and again I have to start by admitting my own you know the limits of my own knowledge. Well, you know I think as you know I'm originally from Israel before I immigrated to Canada, well over a decade now ago, and the, there is a really stark difference in the culture uh, in Israel compared to Canada. That being said. In spite of all the cultural differences and the social and economic differences and institutional differences, a lot of the entrepreneurial skills and the mindset are are very much agnostic to the the reality in which you you work and live, because ultimately, and this is where kind of going back to your comment about you know are you passionate about your product or are you passionate about you know, creating something and selling it, the more successful or the most successful entrepreneurship stories are those where people were solving a problem that they were passionate about solving. And whether they're creating a product to solve the problem or they're creating a service to solve the problem, and whether they're solving to people that are identical to themselves or people that are like their grandparents or friends or whatever. Ultimately, entrepreneurship education, and, and, and again, this is another moving target, entrepreneurship education research is very much relatively new. I, I think it's, it's you know, you, you don't have enough, you know, we can have, you have more fingers than the number of decades entrepreneurship education research been on the ground compared to so much higher education research that's been around for, for you know, probably close to a century, maybe even more. But the core tenets of entrepreneurship is this idea of understanding 
your place within the environment that you're trying to make a change or impact in. And so there are many different fundings. Again, I just had a session with my with my germinator uh, group of students and we talked about funding. We talked about uh, venture capital. We talked about angel investors. We talked about bank loans. We talked about the, the three F's, your family, friends and fools that will give you money. Um, so there all these exist in different ratios in different places. And I know Africa has been doing amazing. There are a few nations in, in, in Africa that's been doing absolutely phenomenal with microloans. And that's you don't see that in North America because again, we it people don't work this the same way, they don't think the same way. And part of the problem, I guess, in the cultural differences is also the aspirational values. I think North America is very skewed into high growth modality. When we say startup, people think, oh, it has to be super big and super fast. But you can be an entrepreneur and you can have entrepreneurial ambition. And your ambition is only to create a self-sustaining, a sustainable 20 people small business. It's nothing, anything less entrepreneurial than wanting a 10,000 employee global corporation. It, it just, it's a different type of business. And fun fact, in Canada, statistically speaking, 99% of businesses are small and medium. There's only 1%, maybe even 0.1%, but it's, it's percentages of large corporation is minuscule. 90% of the workforce work for small, medium enterprises. Only 10% of the workforce will actually work for large companies. And but we still have this again, this part of the myths and the misunderstanding of startup. We think of it has to be big, it has to be global. Well, yes, we we should have some, but it, that's they're they're small. They just take up too much of of their the, the bandwidth of an attention, and and not not correlated to how much actually they carry the economy as a whole. So we're not that different i think in in how the economy is structured fundamentally speaking but we're definitely different in how we present the the world of work and, and startups for sure i'm so glad we're having this conversation i can see why you are the associate professor wow um the wisdom i, I love the, the 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 phrase about you know the, the context in terms of what you're in and and what you want to do in that context in terms of solution Lovely. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Well, listeners, unfortunately, this is it. Um, I think I'm going to have Elon back again, probably in the near future, where we can continue to have some more conversations. Uh, this is a really good conversation. Uh, this, is gonna, this is going out at the same time as Tanisha's. Uh, one, it's going to be a bit of a, a month, a theme on entrepreneurship. Uh, and again, this is a key element. And the reason why this is being pushed out soonish is because this is pre the unconference. And this is one of the key things, in my opinion, that is emerging and that we have to, as students, as academic staff, as universities, we have to get a little bit more clever about it because it's not going to go away. If anything, in my opinion, I think these kind of things are going to continue to grow. And I would anticipate, you know, find me in five years time and say, Trevor, I think you were right. I think eWill is probably going to become the dominant form of work integrated learning in the next five years based on just trying to adjust trajectory in terms of where things are going, uh, particularly with Generation Z. So um, thank you again, Alon. Thank you, Trevor.
always happy to have a chat with you. It's excellent uh, to catch up again uh, and do keep uh, an eye out on any of the pods. And if you haven't signed up to the unconference, do do that. Uh, there's going to be a load of people from around the world, from all kinds of walks of life, with all kinds of experience on work integrated learning. And these are the kinds of conversations we're going to want to have. So make sure you join the conversation. Thanks, everybody. See you soon again. Bye bye. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to the doctor and he just dissected the intersection between work and learning. Thank <laughs> you.